When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarin. The Shmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarin, joined as always. By a man who's had quite a week being a Bostonian, no Olympics, no Tom Brady, Dan Baker. DB, oh, I want to congratulate bro. you on one of those. Try to guess which one. I'm going to go Brady. It's my gut feeling. Your, my gut feelings. Gut I'm feeling. congratulating you on losing Tom Brady. No, congratulations on not hosting the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Your city will be happier and less expensive for it. <laughs> As always, joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? Hey, welcome back. This is one of the two weeks you work a year, right? No, I mean, that is true. Off, been off for it's been a quite month, a summer because now. I haven't oh. had to see you and me and mark barry how are you sir i am great it's major league baseball trade deadline wow yeah, i know no one cares. you didn't know what, what but sport i know is that? What's, what is he talking about it's the, it's the one I that's going know. on right now mark is <laughs> our first time listeners our resident baseball fan and the rest of us have kind of soured on the sport fan. so he'll talk about baseball we'll take little cat naps but i love to play baseball i love to play baseball I was a uh, captain of my high school baseball oh, team. Not, 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 not bragging back in his day. Yeah. Stick no, ball. Not stick ball back in my day. I mean, I was captain because I was the only yeah, senior. I know. Um, yeah. Person, I was going to say person. person. Only person on the only team? Only person. Yeah. Actually, though, but we did only have nine players, yeah. and one day a player was injured, and we had to go to a, a, re- a nearby high school and get a former person who went to the yeah. high school. Yeah. Hey, we got a heck of a show <laughs> this week. We're going to be talking, obviously, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. But we also are talking, and Coach, you're going to love this. We're Uh-oh. talking to Bijan. Bain, who just wrote a book called Elgin Baylor, A Basketball Life, uh-huh. about the history of Elgin Baylor, okay. Washington, D.C. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Love that story. And he's done a deep dive into the life of Elgin mm-hmm. Baylor, which mm-hmm. is exciting to me. Elgin Baylor, unquestionably, best basketball player ever produced by the D.C. area. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's like it's the discussion is who's second, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you can start there. We'll start there. And before we go to break, though, I just want to say hi to some folks who are in the studio with us. Uh, Lauren Allen. You could yell hello if you like. Aaron Allen. Hello. Whoa. Hello. Got some pipes. Uh, Nick Walmeyer. Hello. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mary Frances Walmeyer. Hello. That was great. Mary Frances, big sister. I could tell, like, the one in charge. I, I have one of those in my house. Um, and, of course, mom's so important. Maureen Allen, Janelle Walmeyer. Hello. Hello. Awesome. Hello. Welcome. Thanks so much for visiting us here in the studio. Any last words for your friends? You give a big shout out. <laughs> that was awesome. We'll be back after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. 
Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. To have about this. Let me tell you something. Oh, we're back. Hey, this is Edge of Sports Radio. I'm Dave Zirin. We're going to go through the Boston Agonistas. The good, the bad, the ugly, thrill of victory, agony of defeat. Victory in not having the Olympics. Defeat in what's happening with Tom Brady at this moment. The latest defeat with regards to Tom Brady. And I want us to all talk about this. We got we to do a deep dive into Tom Brady. Uh, I'm sure people know the story at this time. The NFL held up a four-game suspension. They released a very, very damning piece of evidence when they didn't have to. Uh, evidence that was not, by the way, in the Wells report about Tom Brady destroying his Samsung cell phone. That Stephen A. Smith talked about first. Yes. So? Uh, so they leaked it. <laughs> they leaked it to the man with the biggest mouth. That's how you do a leak. Uh, since then, just filling people in on this, Bob Kraft has decided to go Al Davis, uh, saying that he was wrong. He apologized to his team for accepting the league's punishment. He said he was wrong to put his trust in the league. Apology accepted. <laughs> this is Bob Kraft we're talking about, longtime ally of Roger Goodell, perhaps the person who, without whom Roger Goodell would not even still be commissioner. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed George Atala from the NFLPA earlier today, and one of the things that he said is that there's got to be some sort of ownership politics behind this four-game suspension. No one's ever gotten a four-game suspension for messing with equipment before. Stick them, pads, things of that nature. It's never happened. Mm-hmm. So what, and there's been, there was nothing in the rule book about balls and PSI until two days ago or three days ago from today. So a non-existent rule, he was punished in an unprecedented way because they said they had, even though they didn't have proof, they had general knowledge that he did something and it was in the best interest of the game suspend him to suspend him. Well, as George Atala said, and this is totally true, the NFL had general knowledge that Jimmy Haslam committed crimes as owner of the Browns. Mm-hmm. The NFL had general knowledge that Ziggy Wolf was part of a defrauding scheme in New York State. The general knowledge is there. Remember, if it's not a court of law, and we're just talking like there's general knowledge and it's shameful to the game, so for the good of the game we have to do something about it, then why haven't those well, owners well, well, been published? But those things didn't impact the game, though. That's a good, I think they do impact the game. If we're talking about the game as a public spectacle, it undermines trust if you think that owners are crooked. I think. But I hear what you're saying, Coach. You're talking about like the difference between, say, somebody using PEDs and someone using cocaine. Or, you know, it's like what actually changes what's happening on the field or not. I mean, those are bad people. I mean, those, 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 those are owners doing bad deeds uh, yes. off the playing field, off the, off the NFL spec radar. Where Brady's done was actually impacting a game. Now, I don't care what the score did, was. He did. Right. The, you know. But that's the other thing, too. No, and I hear what you're saying. The point is very well taken. But the, the issue is also, did he even do it? And uh, that yeah, question. Did yeah, he did it. Go ahead. You think he did it? Absolutely. Without question. Yeah. No question and about this, it. And there no. hasn't been a long history of this happening other for other people that have like, either current and former players. And there's never been a punishment for anything like it before. I mean, it's like I'd say if you if you think he did it, give him a fine and call it a day. Right, right. But the right, thing that right, they've they, right. the way they've built it up, I am of the belief, and I say this as someone who's a Patriots hater, that they are building it up like this. They for, they being the NFL and the other owners for two big reasons. One, there is a lot of belief among ownership circles that Bob Kraft has too cozy a relationship with the commissioner and that the Patriots have gotten away for too much for too long, particularly among AFC owners who look at all the Super Bowl appearances by the Patriots, which is worth 
untold amounts of millions of dollars to the organization and think that the Patriots have been playing on a different field to get there. It hasn't been a level playing field. And the, and they believe that Kraft has gotten away with it because of his friendship with Goodell. And so it's like the hammer has to come down. Two, I really do think... Okay, okay. Two, and I'll just say this, is that um, there is an issue here of the NFL being very concerned if they lower the penalty or whatnot as looking like they're giving Golden Boy Tom Brady a pass. And right. Golden Boy mm-hmm. Tom Brady, best-selling jersey in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think this truly does factor into it, is that he's a white dude in a league, and a lot of players believe that there's a double standard, where white players get punished less than black players, that there's a total double standard. And mm-hmm. I... Wow. Totally, absolutely, and and that this idea that like if we show we're going light on Tom Brady, um, in a league that's seventy percent black, it could also look bad. And that now the flip side of the whiteness thing, and I'll just throw it like this, is that you've got legions and legions of people defending Tom Brady yeah. <laughs> in a way that I don't think you would as if it was a black athlete. Like legions of people to the point of which they've stepped up police presence outside of Roger Goodell's home. Is that a fact? Yeah, yep, absolutely. So I, I couldn't tell. Go like, ahead. Is, was it Goodell who asked for the police presidents, or, or was it the the police that that volunteered that? Unclear. Yeah. Just and that's another thing too about it being unclear. That was reported by Mike Florio. Mm-hmm. That's another NFL leak. I think that the NFL is playing a very dirty Nixonian political mm. game. Yeah. I heard that too. Le- leaking stuff to the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the the cell phone information did not need to be released for them to put the suspension in. They could have just announced the suspension and said that we don't see a reason to lessen it. They instead decided to really go after Tom Brady and his character. And the other thing, and this is apparently what made Bob Kraft like lose his bleep and go all Norma Ray. And I mean, and it was amazing. I've never heard an owner speak that way about a commissioner since Al Davis. I mean, it's unbelievable. But the thing that sent him over the top was when the NFL filed a pre-injunction to hold the Brady trial in New York and not Minnesota, where it's viewed much friendlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how true this is, but Mike Greenberg said that the rule of thumb is if it's in Minnesota, 90% chance the players win. If it's in Manhattan, 90% chance the owners win. And sure enough, it did get moved to Manhattan. That's the news today. And so Bob Kraft was just like the amount of maneuvering going on, (laughs) the effort to shame Brady and, and the Patriots sent Bob Kraft into an what's the phrase? An apoptosis? A tizzy. We'll just say tizzy. <laughs> I, I want you to back up, Dave, and tell me what are the owners jealous of? And I don't understand. I mean, oh, the I Patriots win that. because they have Belichick, they have Brady. They uh, I mean, aside they, from they, Spygate, like right. what? 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 Yeah. What's what, 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 did, what did they have to be jealous of? The fact that the Patriots are winners. There's more, but I'll, Mark, do you want to start with that? Yeah, I can please. answer that. Yeah, very I mean, I, 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 start, saying I it, but I don't. A couple things. I mean, the there's, there's just, there's been an air of shadiness that that people, whether it's been the public or ownership, it's the hiding or just uh, when it comes to injury reports or saying that someone has a general lower body injury or things like that. It feel like there, there's a consensus that believes that that Belichick and Kraft and the Patriots would skirt things or, or play as close. I want to, examples. As close to the edge. No, absolutely. Well, and that's, go and that's the thing. Okay, go yeah. with the examples. We'll go with examples. I mean, first of all, and we got to go back to this. I mean, you can't say what Dan Baker, I love you, Dan, but you can't say what Dan just said, which is other than Spygate, and then start a sentence that mm-hmm. way. It's sort of like when people say, other than 9-11, George Bush kept us safe. <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's what Republicans always say. Yeah, they do. And it's always like, you can't say other than 9-11, 
you know, it's ridiculous. So it's like other Spygate. I mean, God, I'm not trying to do hot takes. Spygate's the 9/11. <laughs> but it's right, just the, the point. Made, is that, Ta- is that Tower Seven? Is that th- no? No. <laughs> is that three of the champ? Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. Three of the championships took place before Spygate uh, revealed itself. Correct. And that was seen as as just just absolutely outrageous that the punishment was not greater for Spygate. Second, it's it's the, the issue of the injury reports is not small. Third, you even saw like in the last um, playoffs the issue of where Edelman was lining up on the mm-hmm. line. And not getting penalized for oh, that. Oh right, they had the, they, they had the the new formation with the like new an off formation with the the lineman that was eligible, which was completely within the rules. I, right, but it's just this idea, and then you have people like Steve Bishotti, owner of the Ravens, who just feels like this is a team that has been willing to cut corners for their success. And when you couple that with the, I'll t- t- couple it with two things. The unprecedented Atlanta Braves-like success that they've had going to the postseason uh, in this free agent era, which is utterly unparalleled. I think that makes owners jealous. And then you look at, like, the Forbes list of franchise values, and it's really absurd. I mean, Dallas is number one. Obviously, they got a multi-billion dollar stadium. Mm -hmm. And then for a long time, it was Dallas and Washington would flip-flop at the top of who was number one. Now number two is the Patriots. And that's crazy. So you're hating oh, on them. I, 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 in a town that's envy. not even a football town. I know, but that just sounds like Without envy, a new man. stadium. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it hating? I don't know, Mark. Is it hate? I think just because, I mean, it's because there's smoke. Isn't isn't there sometimes fire? And I, I think that a conflagration, if you have this many people hating and this many people bringing these questions forward, all of these things can lead, can lead up to people believing that something like this could happen. It creates mm-hmm. its own pressure. It creates its own logic sometimes when the noise is that great. I wish that wasn't true. Coach still thinks we're haters. Hey, well, let's explore no. this some more. We'll be back after this. <laughs> One, two, three. Don't One, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Uh, the coach coming out. How you doing, coach? My man. Me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? Doing fired up. Man. Talking Brady, Brady, Brady. Uh, first and foremost, a couple of things we didn't mention that I think we should mention. Mm-hmm. There's the whole issue of the cell phone. One of the things that I actually appreciate and find compelling, and I'm curious if you guys think this is self-serving nonsense, is I like the idea that one of the things that Tom Brady said in his statement was he basically said, I'm a union man, and I'll be damned if I'm going to set the precedent of being the first person to hand my cell phone over to the league. Yeah. It's an incredible invasion of privacy. They have no right to my, my text messages, and I'm not going to give it to them. And I appreciated that, that it wasn't – because people are all like, oh, he said he breaks all his phones. But that's not all he said. He also made the point to say he did not want to be the one to set the precedent. And I appreciated that, but – I ask you real quick, just yes or no, because then I want to move on to the stuff that, Mark, I know you want to talk mm. about with this case. Self-serving or good union position or both? I think it's both. And uh, honestly, it's like I'll, I'll fold in just a little bit in terms of what I was going to talk about. I don't know where the NFL thinks it has this governmental authority that they can compel people to give up private property to incriminate themselves. Right. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is like they, they got the ball boys and the, the equipment team's cell phones because they were Patriot property and they needed corroboration from Brady's cell phone. And why is he going to why is does he why is he have to give up his phone that, that may or may not have incriminating information? I think he has the, the absolute right uh, position on this. Coach, self-serving. Talk to me, my man. Self-serving all the way. Uh, to you, is Brady you. Lance Armstrong? No, or no, is he's that not. No, much? and see, that's that's a good point. He's not Lance Armstrong. He's not Conseco and Palmero and all the guys. Well, Conseco didn't. That went on, went to Congress and all that. No, it's a whole different venue with the steroids. 
He's more Brian Williams to me. Brian Williams, yeah, the, the NBA, former the NBC, Bison Daily? No, M- M- the NBC. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the, the NBC cat. Because he's top of the world. What did he say about Ali? Men want to be him and women want to be with him. Yes. That's Brady. V- very heteronormative, but go on. Right, please. okay. But I mean, but Brady is four-time <laughs> Super Bowl winning, been there six. Nobody's done it. He's handsome. He's got money. He's got a beautiful wife, a worldwide model. Everything's going his way. And I think, like Brian Williams, I'm untouchable. I'm, he's, he's full of himself. And he says, hey, get, get this out of here. I did it. You can't touch me. I'm Brady. I'm the face of the program. I don't disagree with you said. in terms of so the reaction. So now that he's caught, he's reaching back and saying, hey, I did it for the union yeah. and all, 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 all my brothers and all my brothers. That uh, I'm a I'm a pioneer for my brothers. Man, no, I disagree with both. you. I disagree. Okay. No, but I disagree entirely at the whole conception because you're right on one point. His original reaction clearly showed that he he did not realize how serious it was in the court of public opinion, and he thought it would all go away. And he thought he was frankly in a bibble, a bibble, a bubble, <laughs> a bibble, a bubble of his own Tom Brady awesomeness. Right. And clearly that wasn't the case. And a lot, what a thing a lot of people said when he put up his Facebook statement is, where the hell was this six months ago? Like the Thank kind you. of hardcore statement. And I think it really is like he took the six months to see how the wind was blowing. Thank you. And then was like, holy crap. Now, that's different than Brian Williams, though, because I don't see anything compelling that Tom Brady did anything wrong that even worse. Remember, there are no rules on this until two days ago, three days ago in the NFL books right. about deflating balls. I don't see where he did anything wrong that we wouldn't classify under other circumstances as gamesmanship of the shady kind, mm-hmm. the likes of which are very much under the Patriots' umbrella of stuff they do and, frankly, maybe of what other teams do as well. Shady, 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 but you, I don't know what it is, but there's some reason in this country where Joe Necro and Gaylord Perry are not as bad as Rafael Palmero or Alex Rodriguez. There's something about if you – it's almost like if you're primitive about your cheating. You let out some air. You scuff the ball. You put some spit on it. That's okay. But as soon as you start getting in like technology, science, or anything of that sort, then it's not okay. Just just a thought about that. But I just want to read some things that I just think are ridiculous. And Coach, so you're going to be the, my target here. Is this, ridic- is this ridiculous? This was what Bill Plaschke wrote about this whole thing. Yes. He wrote, Turns out Tom Brady's cell phone wasn't the only thing that was destroyed. So too was any remaining shard of belief in his competitive integrity. Every last piece blown to smithereens with 10,000 text messages and one giant lie. Does anybody still believe the NFL's most celebrated player didn't purposefully deflate footballs in an attempt to gain an advantage during last season's NFL playoffs? Does anybody still think his legacy should not include the word cheater? It's worse than we thought. Well, not it. Him. Tom Brady. He's worse than we thought. All right. Too much? Yeah, that's too much. (laughs) That's too much, man. It's too much. (laughs) Go ahead, Dave. It's too much. Now, Mark, I know you wanted to say some more about uh, about the the Patriots. Like, I think what Tom Brady, even if he did it, it falls under the rubric of general Patriots annoyances. They're like ticks for other NFL They're annoyances. It may not be cheating, but it annoys everyone who follows. It annoys everyone. But and because people feel like in a, in a in a league built on parity, where you don't have the 1980 super teams anymore, and the difference between winning and losing is the size of a splinter, this is just like oh my god! This is, they feel like this is the Patriots splinter. 
Go ahead, Mark. What is it about the Patriots? Like, you said you wanted to give some more concrete examples. I mean, in terms of concrete example, I, I feel like that the, it's it's very hard. If you, you can go back to 2007 and there was the question about whether they uh, scuffed up their their kicking balls uh, ah, that happened before then. So there was that's another right. there's another example about that. But honestly, I think one coach of, scuffing kicking balls it's against the rule. But is it that just gamesmanship, home field advantage, or is that cheating? I got to think about that. That's yeah. That, that's you see what I'm that, saying. Yeah, I, I I don't understand. You you, you do you what to the ball? There there are these things called K balls, which is why the one reason why field goal percentages have gone up so dramatically, um, in the NFL, where about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. I think they started using new balls for people right. to kick field goals through. Right, and those are called the K ball, okay. and you're not supposed to touch them unless you're kicking off or kicking a field goal. Okay, Mark, continue. Yeah, I I but beyond stuffing those balls, it's like. <laughs> Beyond those few examples of Spygate, of this, of the K-Balls, and of, of these sorts of things, I feel like there's just a negative consensus when it comes to optics, uh, when it comes to the, to the Patriots. You have a lot of people that are have-nots, and the Patriots are obviously the haves in the situation, and you feel like if something – that there's some, something must have been going wrong, and you're talking about the splinter. One thing I wanted to talk about real quick is optics when it comes to the NFL. I think – Roger Goodell needed to get this right in where he he mm-hmm. was in in the moral high ground in terms mm-hmm. of this. I think that if you pair what happened in the fire and brimstone of the upholding of the the Brady suspension along with a little bit quieter of the lessening of the Le'Veon Bell suspension for the DUI, mm-hmm. uh, dropping it from three games to two games, it's a sign. It's like whether you're talking about racially about well we hold Tom Brady the golden boy up to the standard and we are. A we are able to give some sort of lenience to these situations. I just feel that Goodell is absolutely struggling to try and maintain some sort of uh, moral and high ground. And that's in really the problem is that it's two things, and these are the biggest issues, Coach, aside okay. from all of this, is first and foremost, um, Roger Goodell has no credibility. None. So mm-hmm. everything he touches turns to crap. No fan so, of Roger, so go No, ahead. no, but, but that's actually <laughs> becoming a problem that he has yes. no credibility because it's like with this right. Brady situation – uh, hold up the four-game suspension, criticism. Drop it down, criticism. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're ever in a position in life, God, that sounds like Colin Cowherd using uh, this oh. for the big advice. <laughs> go, Dave, if go. you're ever in a position in life to make Dominican people feel bad about themselves, you do it. No, that's a different Colin Cowherd <laughs> speech. If you're ever in a position in life and you are damned if you do and damned if you don't, the problem is not your message. It's that you're, you as the messenger. It's because you have no credibility because mm-hmm. there's always a right answer to a situation. But if you are so ridiculous as a human being, then it doesn't matter what you say. And that's where Roger Goodell is. The other problem is that he will not collectively bargain punishment on these issues with the union. He's going to have to. He has to yeah. because Bob Kraft is saying – Why is that his fault? The union no, gave him the right. The union no, no, gave no. him the power. No, no, that's two separate issues we're talking. That's okay. two separate issues. Okay, First of all, um, the fact that Roger Goodell even wants that power to be judge, jury, and executioner yes. is bad for him. Yes. And it's Agreed. bad for the league. Agree. It's bad because that's why they keep careening from lawsuit to lawsuit as opposed to something like the, the drug enforcement policy in the league, which no one talks about when players turn up with uh, you know whatever it is in their system because it's so straightforward. So it doesn't last more than a news cycle. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you got your four game. Oh, second time you got this. Oh, you know, and it just, it's transparent. It is what it is. Players aren't going to appeal it unless they really feel like they've been wronged, like somebody slipped them something or whatever. But even then, a lot of the time, they're advised not to appeal it because it's like it's very hard to win on the basis of ignorance. So mm-hmm. it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. But this is all reactive. 
All of Goodell's stuff is reactive, and it's always embarrassing because people just wonder what he's reacting to, what pressure group, what special interest is he reacting to. There's no leadership, and the NFLPA has taken him to court and crushed him time and time again. And the NFL really wants to win this one. That's why mm-hmm. they did the preemptive motion mm-hmm. to get it in, mm-hmm. in, in, in Manhattan court. And that's also why they even took the chance of, or Goodell is taking the chance of repelling his number one ally, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Bob Kraft. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this, yeah. just a couple of things. Yeah. Like, say we go back and look at a lot of film and you see something like the great defensive player, Nate Thurmond, uh, constantly grabbing, like, the shorts right. of somebody's hands. Right. Do we brand? Should we brand Nate Thurman the no, cheater? Because, Does no, that affect no, how we no. see him? That's the same thing as right. Use that example. No, if the referee didn't call the foul, you get away with it. If a guy stretches out and Des stretches out, um, doesn't catch the ball, gets up and waves his hand like he caught it, and the referee says he caught it and it's not caught on camera, he's a, it's a catch. And, and you put people people in place. If to, a to, ref doesn't realize that a ball has been deflated, whose okay. fault is that? Okay, but they did realize it, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. All right, so, so then, if you but if you get caught though, yeah, if that's you get a better caught, you got to if, if you get caught, you got to pay the penalty. You got to pay, pay the, the piper. You got to face and, it. And I, and I just Brady because he was a king, just like Brian Williams. I made a mistake. Yeah, I did it. Uh, uh, and and it had been a fine way back when six weeks ago. I mean, spill milk now. I just <laughs> and, not, and, and, and and I guess when when you say the four games and it wasn't reduced. Then and you're telling me, well, now because it's a it's a it's a management fight between the owners and let's mm-hmm. penalize the Patriots. I I get lost in that. No, no, but it, guess what? No, this is not tough to get lost in. They the owners don't like Bob Kraft. They want to see him get punched in the mouth. That's why the suspension is so big. Simple as that. Remember that Goodell works for the owners. Hey, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back after this with Bijan Bain. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? Mm-hmm. Me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? Doing good. I'm so excited about this particular uh, guest because I'm so excited about this subject matter. And I'm so excited about this guest because I loved one of his other books. Uh, he's the author of Sky Kings, Black Pioneers of Professional Basketball. That I have never read. He's also the author of a book, Martha's Vineyard Basketball, How mm-hmm. a Resort League Defined Notions of Race and Class, which is freaking brilliant book. Like, talk mm-hmm. about hidden history, Martha's Vineyard. Talk about people's history of sports. It's a great book. But we want to talk to him about his book, which is out later in August. It's called Elgin Baylor, The Man Who Changed Basketball. His name is Bijan Bain. Bijan, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Dave, and thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our privilege here. We got Coach here, who I think has been refereeing in D.C. since uh, Elgin Baylor was in junior high, so he might have some questions for you, too. But first of all, I just wanted to ask you, um, I love asking this question of authors, Elgin Baylor, why? What was it about the subject matter that said you want this to be the book treatment? There are a few things. Uh, The fact that there was no book dedicated to his life, given that he was the contemporary of Robertson, West, uh, Russell, and Chamberlain was intriguing to me. Uh, I thought that might be a challenge. I thought he was deserving uh, of the topic in terms of uh, being uh, someone that people could reference in the sports literature 20, 30 years from now. 
especially because of his imprint on the style of, of play currently. Um, grew up primarily in D.C., although I was born in Boston, so there was a an interest in him being a uh, a large figure in uh, Washington history, especially. You know, we claim him pretty hard here. <laughs> we claim him pretty hard in DC. Sure. So there was there was some of that, and uh, I, you know, they say that you should write the book that you want to read, or if mm-hmm. you see subjects that you would like to read about, and there's there hasn't been uh, anything done on those topics, you should approach the topic yourself, and, and I, I was always interested in some aspects of his story, some of which I hadn't been able to really uncover in you know contemporary magazine articles and newspapers and things of that nature, so I took it upon myself to sort of unearth uh, some of those elements of his life. Hmm. Now, b- before I ask you what you unearthed and some of what you found out about Elgin Baylor that surprised you... Elgin Baylor's always mystified me a little bit because of his combination of his acrobatics, but then his rebound numbers are just insane, and you don't usually associate acrobatic players with rebound numbers that compare with the best power forwards. So whose game does he remind you of? I mean, even if you have to combine multiple players, what sort of amalgam can you put together so our listeners can understand exactly the impact of Elgin Baylor? That's a very good question. Uh, that's why they pay you the big bucks. Yeah. Um, I would say if you – about the part of his game that you asked about specifically, you could look at people like Maurice Stokes, uh, Charles Barkley, and maybe a little bit of Connie Hawkins. Yeah, Barkley is a good comparison because even – I mean, even if it's not perfect because of Barkley, the way he used strength and bullishness, which – wasn't really Elgin, was it? Well, it was in a way because of the upper body strength and because of how strong his hands were. So that was some element of the rebounding. Uh, I will say that in terms of his rebound numbers, I attribute a lot of it to second chance and third chance opportunities off his teammate shots and his own shots. So that's why uh, he has outstanding rebound numbers, as you pointed out, not only for his size, but for a person who before his debilitating knee injuries up to both knees was also a leaper, where you don't associate a Dominique Wilkins, a Michael Jordan, a Cedric Ceballos uh, with having really, really high rebound numbers. And just so our listeners know, I mean, we're talking like averages like 15 a game, 16 a game, like like really historically high numbers. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's, a, a lot of that is following his shot and following his teammate's shot. So a lot of, a, a lot of tap-ins and rebounds. He gathered his numbers in a way not dissimilar although his game is very different and his size is is very different than Moses Malone Mm. let me ask you this we're talking about things you unearthed Um, Elgin Baylor of course comes of age during a time where a lot of athletes particularly black athletes are grounding themselves in politics is there a political history to Elgin Baylor yes uh, readers will find uh, when they read this book that Elgin Baylor was the first player to boycott an NBA game for reasons of segregated lodging. Uh, This was before Russell and the Russell Celtics ever did so, and it was a regular season game. It was not a preseason game scheduled in the hometown of a college athlete uh, or or here on one of the teams. It was actually, it was scheduled in the hometown 
for uh, the place where Hot Rod Hunley had come to heroism playing for West Virginia, but it was a regular season game, and Baylor was a rookie when he risked boycotting that game. In addition, he was very active in Los Angeles uh, after the Minneapolis team moved to L.A. in uh, voter registration drives, uh, voting rights. He did a lot of clinics in in the uh, community like East L.A., Watts, places like that, uh, South Central Los Angeles in the very early 1960s, before that was really common in the inner cities. And a little later on, in terms of politics, it's important for people to know that he played a pivotal role in basketball players, uh, NBA players of the mid-1960s, pursuing what became their pension, uh, their some of their benefits, uh, better traveling conditions and scheduling, uh, having trainers on the road, having an actual all-star break as opposed to just one day off, things of that nature. Mm. Co- Coach has a question for you. Yeah, I, I want to take it back in the, in the same area you're talking about, but Baylor is regarded here in D.C. as top three in anybody's list of uh, players. Dantley, uh, Dave Bing, and then Baylor's in there, um, usually at the top. Explain to me why he went from D.C., all the way out to the College of Idaho in Seattle. I didn't understand that before my time. I didn't understand how he got mm. all the schools that bypassed him, that he goes all the way to, Seattle, to the to, left to a coast. a school yeah. that you would never hear. Other than Elgin Baylor, when have you ever heard of Seattle University exactly. basketball? Exactly. With all due respect. So yeah. please talk to us. Well, there, there are a couple of things. Uh, and, and, that, and that as you ask it in that context, Something additional occurs to me that might might speak to the racial climate of the, of the time, but Elgin was a, according to contemporary accounts in the Washington Post, although Elgin was the first Negro named All Met, he he was relatively widely recruited on the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, the Post speaks of interest from Seton Hall, they speak of St. John's, they speak of Indiana U, although that's kind of questionable when you read what. People like Bob Gibson and Oscar Robertson, who were high school stars, said about Branch McCracken when he was coaching at, at IU. But IU had integrated. So he was on recruiters' radar, but it's, it's, it's interesting that he doesn't enroll in college until two years after his high school class graduates. He actually plays for the D.C. Stonewalls, who are a powerful semi-pro basketball team, which on and off included two of his older brothers, Kermit and Sal Baylor, who are actually taller than he. And he plays for the United States Patent Office team uh, because his brother works down there. So he actually doesn't really pursue college until he's 20. And what happens is a player who was a Dunbar graduate, who's playing football at the College of Idaho, wrote Elgin and said, uh, they could do with more athletes there. The small school uh, since closed, at least under that name. And Elgin wrote back. The guy's name was Warren Williams. He kind of sold Elgin on coming out to this tiny program, uh, tiny program that actually had R.C. Owens playing forward on the basketball team, who would become an NFL a star wide receiver, and of course get the alley pass from in football from R.C. Owens. But Baylor played for Idaho and, and a college of, not Idaho University, but the College of Idaho, and the tiny school actually dropped college sports 
after his second year. So then he transfers to Seattle. But it's basically Warren Williams encouraging him to come uh, across the country, uh, which which he ended up doing by train, much as Williams did. They get him out to the West Coast in the first place, and then when they dropped the program, uh, he stayed in the in the Northwest. Yeah. Forgive me. I have a question that's about decades into the future, because when I read about Elgin Baylor, what I've read about the book, I mean, he's clearly a person of uh, deep principles, deep intelligence, deep knowledge. And yet he had this incredibly long relationship with Donald Sterling, Mm -hmm. very long relationship. Can you talk a little bit about why Elgin Baylor found a home with Sterling and what eventually led to their break? Yes. Uh, again, a nuanced topic, and different people have uh, different takes on it. Who are, you know, Los Angeles basketball media, and I know Dave, you've written uh, extensively about Sterling as an owner. The if 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 you take a composite of of most of the educated opinions regarding this, Sterling purchases the team in '89. Um, Sterling, although he denied this in court later, as you know, uh, reaches out to Baylor because of his uh, status in Southern California and his basketball reputation. Uh, For those that don't know, he had actually head coached uh, the New Orleans Jazz to to middling success given the the, the talent that they had uh, beside Pete, Mar- Pete Maravich, but he had been a head coach, and he had also done some other things in, uh, in corporate and executive life since his playing days. And he and Sterling are almost exactly the same age. One was born in 33, Baylor was born in uh, 34, so they're contemporaries. And he didn't know what he was getting into. I, I'll, I'll, I'll just posit that about Baylor in terms of how Donald Sterling views athletes, the way in which he looked down upon athletes, and the very uh, the manner in which some of his practices as an owner were just so repugnant in terms of some of the things that Baylor said even before his uh, discrimination lawsuit against Sterling began about how he he would bring young ladies into the locker room and encourage them to gawk at players' physiques and things of that nature. So there's there's that. Um, he did not know in, at the outset how much of a tightwad Sterling was in terms of compensating players, coaches, or general managers. Uh, Mike Dunleavy also had issues with being underpaid by Sterling, so this is not something that was a uh, part of Baylor's imagination. Uh, Danny Manning... Uh, famously said that Sterling, or at least it, it, it got to him that Sterling had said that uh, blacks his age didn't need to be paid a million dollars. They didn't need that much money. So all these all these things are unknown to Baylor when he takes the position, but he, you know, obviously worked there for 21, you know, for 21 years before the lawsuit. Mm. The book is called, do the full title for me. I was worried I got it wrong. The book is nope. Elgin Baylor, um, the, man the Man Who Changed Basketball. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt about that. That's the truth, Bijan Bain. I wish you such success with this book, man. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm and I'm going to buy it as soon as it's available. I believe it's available August 15th. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Okay, and August it's online 15th. Now. And I will be. Um, send me some links, my friend. As long as they're not Amazon links, I will shoot them to the moon for people <laughs> to buy it. 
<laughs> That's great, Dave. I appreciate it, and, and thanks for the educated uh, uh, queries about Elgin's life and legacy. Well, it's, it was an education for us. That was Bijan Bain, ladies and gents. I can't wait for this book, Elgin Baylor, The Man Who Changed Basketball. But I can recommend strongly his book, Martha's Vineyard Basketball, How a Resort League Defined Notions of Race and Class. That was just mind-boggling mm. to me. It's such a good book because mm. it's like this idea of hidden history. Hey, we got to go to break after this. We're going to have a quick word with uh, Mark Barry when we come back. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. When we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, first a huge <laughs> shout out to the people of Boston for pushing back the 2024 Olympics, yeah. getting the city yeah. to pull the bid. It's good for Boston. It's good for the Olympic reform movement. It's good, period. Yes, sir. He had grassroots activists versus the richest people in town. Ten Grass people on Twitter. Won. Yeah, ten people on Twitter, all thousands of them. <laughs> but And the last segment of the show, I got to go to you, Mark, yeah. on this. You said about the baseball trade deadline yeah. that it's a big deal. It is. But Cole Hamels going to the Rangers isn't a big deal. How can you say that the second biggest thing wasn't a big deal? I feel like the trade deadline is a big thing, and good teams got themselves a lot better. You look at what happened. Who to got Tro- better? Troy Tulowitzki makes the Blue Jays a hell of a lot better. Okay. I, I, the, the Rockies did him dirty uh, in terms of trading him in the middle of the night after telling him for years they weren't going to trade him. But that one is big. I think that Kazmir going to the Houston Astros is big. But Hamels, a, a player on a big contract who's under contract for three more years going to the Rangers, which is a team that is four games out, not going Just to Just com- four games out. Not yeah. going to compete this. It's like four games out of the wild card. It's like the second wild card spot. So they, what? They have... Beyond beyond Cole Hamels, their pitching staff is atrocious. It's terrible. You Darvish is not going to be healthy this year. Their their bullpen is bad as well, and they have one aging sluggers. One ace pitcher can change, can do be a four game swing. He, they they'll finish the season four four games behind. It's like, really? it's like <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet sure. you $5, $5 the Rangers make the Absolutely. playoffs. <laughs> the, the Rangers are going to fall off, and they're a team that's on the decline. And Hamels turned down a trade to go to the Astros, which is a team on the rise. He he forced them to trade him to, to the Rangers. I don't understand it. I don't like it. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense because it's not like Houston and Arlington are in two separate worlds. No. It's it, really like if it can't be an objection. I mean, going Texas, to Texas is a slightly bigger market team, but I, I just don't get it. Slightly. I, I mean,. But here, here's oh, also the team that won the trade deadline is the Kansas City Royals with Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobris. They're going to the World Series. Whoa. Ooh, yeah. a lot of people are saying that, which yeah. immediately I get David Price fears. Right, Price is also getting moved. Today I know or tomorrow. Yeah. And, he, and, to he, and he was and <laughs> he was last year's Johnny Dodgers Cueto. to the Dodgers, oh. which is which would be huge. Yeah. Yeah, it would. They'd have someone um, who can pitch for Clayton Kershaw come playoff time. Kershaw, <laughs> Granke, and Price, those three are the best pitching staff in baseball, whatever the other two are. Hey, it's been cool. a great show. Dan, Coach, Mark, we're out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.